Our loving Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. We thank you again for this opportunity to gather together in your house to worship you. I just pray that this week as we go through the, the holiday of Thanksgiving that you would help us to be reminded again of all the great things you have done for us and to cultivate hearts of gratitude and to worship you for what you have done for us. Thank you most of all for Jesus and what you have done for us through him and that we might commit our hearts and lives to serving him. Just pray this morning, especially for Mel, as he presents your word to us. May you help our hearts be open to receive what you have laid on his heart through him and give him clarity of thought as he shares the word with us. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one this morning. <clears throat> I guess I'll hope and pray for next Sunday to be a thanksgiving message. This morning I have seen the Lord directed me in another direction, uh, but it is a thanksgiving week. It's always a good week for me. I'm grateful that that has, I don't know when, become a national holiday, a day when we can sort of reflect on the bountiful harvest and the things that God has given to us. But this morning, title of the message is, As I Wait. You know, waiting is a part of life. And of course, we're all bound by time, so there's no avoiding it. How well do I wait? at a red light, in the doctor's office, or maybe on an Amazon package. You know, the Bible, and even with Prime, you still have to wait, so don't count on that. But the Bible says a lot about waiting. And in, in many cases, especially in the New Testament, it refers to waiting on the Lord. What are your expectations during those times? <clears throat> in the Old Testament, people of God often waited on God's providential care. You remember Hagar and her baby as she fled her master, the widow of Zarephath and Elisha, and there's many others. Um, but in the New Testament, somehow oftentimes waiting on the Lord refers to his second coming. But not always, but in many cases. You know, in many cases, waiting on the Lord is, is an expected trust and hope in God's movement and his activities. I'd like to picture, if you will, an eagle. I don't know how familiar or how common you have seen eagles. And maybe this isn't as common here as it is in more mountainous area, but... As he soars in the sky, he's waiting for that current, that updraft that will just carry him effortlessly to the top of the mountain. He's dependent on a higher power that's not of his own. You know, without this updraft, he's very limited in altitude, or it takes a lot of effort. And picture that with me, if you will, an eagle Soaring, waiting for that up, updraft that takes him way beyond or with a lot less effort that he would on his own. Waiting. I like to look at a few <clears throat> cases in scripture where people had to wait. 
And in many cases, not even having any idea how long they had to wait. And in many cases, not even sure of the outcome, but waiting, trusting God meanwhile. <clears throat> the first one comes from Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 as we look at Noah waiting. As you wait, be about the Lord's business. I'm going to read this setting here, and we'll get a, a, a glimpse of the culture, the times that Noah was in. And he didn't have a lot to go for, a lot of hope in his current environment or in his culture. Genesis 6, verse 5. <clears throat> And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping king and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I had made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> Now, notice the culture that Noah was living in. All around him, I gather this was quite common. It says there was wickedness and it was great. And their every thought and their imaginations were wicked. Not a very uh, encouraging neighborhood or environment to live in. And it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I'm not going to read about the whole account of the, the ark. I'll read a little bit about it later on. But we see Noah was busy in the Lord's work and saved his family through obedience to God. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The word grace means favor, charm, elegance, or acceptance in spite of the culture that he lived in. I don't know who his friends, his, his uh, support group, who was mentoring him. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But this is where he lived in not a very uh, good neighborhood. I, I don't know. I, I hope that I don't think we live in quite such a depressing uh, neighborhood or environment. But Noah seemed to be pretty much alone. I don't know who, in fact, at the end, it does kind of indicate that he didn't have any support beside his family. And so this is where Noah was. As you wait, be about God's business. Let's read this blueprint that God gave him for the ship. We're going to read verses 14, 21 in the same chapter. <clears throat> and this is God speaking to Noah telling him that he's in plans there in verse 13, he's going to destroy the earth because it's filled with violence. It's just a violent place to live. Verse 14, make thee an ark, ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, now shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits and breadth 50 cubits and the height 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make in the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above, 
and the ark of the door shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make of it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come in the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing shalt, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They should be male and female, fowls after its kind, of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come into thee to keep them alive. And thou shalt take unto thee of all food that is eaten, thou shalt gather of it, and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. Now, that doesn't look like a very detailed set of plans for this life-saving boat that's going to carry all living creatures through this flood. But it says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. I'd want a stamp set of drawings for that, and I'd want more than just a couple paragraphs. You know, God didn't specify what type of window. He didn't specify what type of door. And yet, I like that about God. God doesn't typically micromanage your life. Typically, God calls you to a work and expects you to use the time and the talents, the skills, the resources that you have. And if there's anything else that you don't have, he will provide it. He did so in the tabernacle. He had endued this certain individual, his name slips my mind right now, that was, uh, sounded like he himself was a, a, a very skilled craftsman in metalwork, in woodwork, in, 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 in everything. And what he didn't have, God made up for it. It tells us that. God will provide what you're lacking to do his work. <clears throat> but we see Noah uh, about the Lord's business as he waited. I don't even think, I don't remember God giving him any kind of a time frame. Not even, not even an estimated time frame. But 120 years, imagine waiting 120 years and building this boat in the desert. It didn't even rain, it never rained before that. So you can see, not only was the neighborhood, the community, the culture that he lived in very evil, not a place that you would not really a green zip code as I would think of, but there he was, and God called him to this work. But as he waited, he was doing the Lord's work. And I guess I'd like to encourage in that, us in that. <clears throat> Many of us are waiting. Many of us are. There's a couple waiting to get married. There's some that are waiting for a baby to be born. Maybe you're waiting for a raise. Maybe you're waiting to purchase a better house. We're all waiting on something. But I guess, meanwhile, be about God's business. With whatever he has called you, with the resources that you have. And if there's anything needed beyond that, Trust him to provide. Trust him to furnish it.
as you wait, be about the Lord's business. The next one, as you wait, focus on God's character. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> Daniel was a prophet who lived a long time, and I didn't do a, a refresher course on this, but I'm thinking he lived like three kings, the reign of three kings or something like that. He lived a long time. He was an elderly man and was faithful to God during this whole time. Let's notice God's character in this writing from Daniel 6. Let's, turn to, let's start in verse 16. Uh, okay, back up just a little bit. This is the, the conspiracy that was against Daniel. They were jealous of his role, and he was very successful, very much favored by the king, and honored that beyond the ways that the other, his, his colleagues didn't like. So they were trying to trap him somehow. And they knew that the only way they could trap him was in between him and God. And so they crafted this deceitful decree that said that you can only worship the king. That's it for 30 days. Well, the king, of course, that, you know, that really fluffs him up, makes him feel good. He said, sure, that'd be great. Let's do it without realizing what they were after. They were targeting Daniel. The king wasn't aware of that. Let's read verses 16 to 23, Daniel chapter 6. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king shielded with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. He was bound by an oath to this. He couldn't back out anymore. Verse 18, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and, he sh and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came into the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee <clears throat> from the lions? Then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths, and they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocent was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in God. <clears throat> so there we have Daniel, of course, the king couldn't back out of this. He couldn't, he couldn't change this edict, and so... It was sealed. His sentence was to spend the night in the lion's den. The obvious intent was they would eat him and he'd be gone. That was the intent. That's typically what happens. But he wasn't counting on an angel shutting the lion's mouth. But notice the king's even faith in Daniel's God. He was quite sure 
that his God will deliver him. I don't know how well the king knew Daniel's God, but this was Daniel's influence on the king. The king picked up on God's character through Daniel. Daniel was not hurt because he believed in God. You know, that's so incredible. It's very unlikely that the king had much of a personal relationship with God, but through Daniel, Daniel was one of his senior advisors, you might say, to the king. And of course, I can't help but suspect that this influence came directly from Daniel and the king picked up on this. Daniel's God is a powerful God. Daniel's God is a real God. And we see that coming out in this reading right here. Daniel, too, was focusing on God's character. I don't know if Daniel expected that would happen. I really don't. doesn't tell us. But I got to believe that <clears throat> Daniel had faith that either way, he was going to be victorious. If not in this life, certainly in the next. But Daniel was not hurt because he believed in God and his influence on the king also shows there as well. As he waited... He focused on God's character. The next one, as you wait, follow God's instructions that you already have. And sometimes those instructions are a bit vague. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at the early church here as Jesus gave them instructions to go to Jerusalem and wait. Again, it doesn't he doesn't give a time frame. There's no estimated time frame for how long they're going to wait. They didn't know if it's a week or 120 years. We sometimes don't know. But they were given instructions meanwhile. And this is only a couple of verses. Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, which saith he, ye have heard of him. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And that's all they were given. I'm not sure what that meant to them. I'm not sure what they were expecting. I got to believe that it, they weren't expecting what they got. All they were told to do was go wait in Jerusalem. And again, we we don't... Um, like I said, I, I don't, I, I got to believe that they really didn't have any idea of what was coming. But here we have, just right, a couple verses after this, this, this conversation continues and Jesus disappears in a cloud. He just rises up and disappears in a cloud. He's gone. And they were told to wait. Amazing. Meanwhile, the church went on. We see there in the end of chapter one. The church went on. An elder, an elder was ordained, and they waited for seven weeks, 50 days. Seven weeks. And then in, in chapter 2, we have that where the Holy Spirit was, was given. It says there in, um, they were gathered together in one place, and it says it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, at this time, it saw that there was about 120 in as part of the church, which is not 
a big crowd. It would probably fill up my house, maybe yours as well. But uh, they were in this house, and the Holy Spirit came, and it was, and it filled the house. It was everywhere around them. And we have Peter, of course, later on in this chapter, standing up and preaching to them. And we have, too, that the, the uh, Peter goes on and preaches to these people. And it says that it was given to whosoever, or salvation is to whoever shall call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, that was a bit unusual in their day because up until then, it was reserved for the Jews. Only the Jews were God's chosen people. But things were changing here. It was now opened up to all. Not only was the Holy Spirit reserved for the Jews only, but to all that called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer did you have to be born from a certain lineage or a certain family or a certain heritage. It was to all that call on his name. So here we have, and of course, from then on, the whole books, book of Acts is filled with the effect of this Holy Spirit on these few people. And uh, the end of chapter two, we have a huge growth surge in the church. They've been going from 120 to 3,000. And then from there, they were scattered and they went to the four winds, taking the gospel with them. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit, but following the instructions that they already had, which was basically wait. Wait. The next one, as we wait, sing of his goodness. And I know that um, I haven't arrived. I'm not saying this because I've done this all the time, because I get a little bit impatient sometimes too. But as I was thinking of this, I couldn't help but think of Tony and Nikki still waiting for their son, Seth's healer. Still, they're still waiting by his bedside. He's not responding very well, but they're waiting. They're hoping. They're trusting. We have another scene here where singing seems very out of place and unlikely. Acts 16, the, the story of Paul and Silas. When they were in town preaching, and here comes this girl possessed with a spirit and followed them, tormented them, even identified their source of power as being, as the, as being from the Most High God, as she calls him. But Paul, not willing to take the risk of this demon-possessed girl, painting or misleading or misrepresenting Jesus or his followers commanded that this spirit come out of her and she was totally rendered useless and powerless in that way. Her masters were getting rich off of her ability to, to uh, predict the future and things like that and Paul pronounced this through Jesus Christ that this demon leave her. And it did. She was useless. She was powerless. Her masters were not concerned about her, but only their gain that came through her ability to, to gainsay. Now, of course, this was created quite a stir, quite an uproar. This was, this was a good cash cow for them. They were, they were doing well with this. And all of a sudden, 
it stopped. And so they took things into their own hand. There was a mob formed and they ended up in prison. Let's read uh, verses, uh, or chapter Acts 16, verse start 22. Just gonna read a couple of verses here. <clears throat> it says, on the multitude, this is after they had stirred all the people up and there was a big mob developing and the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon him, they cast him into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. So here we have Paul and Silas were unjustly cast into prison, but as you know, a mob can't be reasoned with. So here they were at the mercy of this mob, cast into prison and whipped on their bare backs and then to maximum security with their feet in stocks. Now the, the old fashioned stocks were usually at such a position where they're very uncomfortable, unnatural position, not a, not a good place to be. But here they were in this position and at midnight, which is the darkest hour of the night, Paul and Silas, it says they prayed and sang praises unto God. Amazing. You know, that certainly took a huge willpower. You would be in pain, your joints would ache from being in an awkward position. It says they prayed and sang praises. Powerful. The, the, it says the prisoners heard them and the earthquake shook the foundations and all the doors flew open and everyone's shackles fell off. Imagine that scene. Sounds, sounds like a great scene except for the guard. He all of a sudden realized what was up and realized if any of these prisoners escape, their sentence will be his. That's how they did in their culture. The prisoner's sentence would be the guards. So he was ready to commit suicide. And Paul called out to him and assured him that we're all here, don't hurt yourself. You know, Paul was concerned and interested in the guard coming to salvation as well, which he did. And I'm sure singing at midnight under these circumstances took a strong will. This decision was not based on feelings. And again, maybe they weren't expecting to stay there long, but in spite of that, there, were, there they were as they waited, singing of his goodness and praying to God. As you wait, sing of his goodness. One more, as you wait, look ahead. And I'm thinking of 2 Timothy chapter four, Paul was nearing, he sensed nearing the end of his life. And he had already been through this trial and was waiting for the final one. And we have his testimony here, 2 Corinthians or 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Just read a couple of verses here. And this is his exhortation to, to, to Timothy, who was a younger pastor was trained and mentored by Paul. 
Verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. <clears throat> I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid out for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto also all them that love his appearing. A couple words I want to notice here. Notice he says, I am now ready to be offered. This was like they would pour out on the altar a drink offering. Caesar was not going to execute him, which was obviously the plans, and that did happen. But he's saying, Caesar will not execute me. I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. He gave his life. He may have been overpowered, may not have had any choice, but in his mind, he gave his life. He talks about his departure. This has a couple of meanings, but I like the idea of the one meaning is to, to hoist anchor to loose from moorings and prepare to set sail. He was like, ready to leave this shore and move on to the next. You know, death to Paul meant a release from this life and entrance into eternity. It also has a meaning of releasing a prisoner and being set free. This was Paul's view of his upcoming execution, if you will. This is how he looked at it. My departure, he says. My leaving this shore and heading for the next side or being released from prison another meaning notice he also looked back briefly and compared his life to maybe a determined wrestler who had fought a good fight or a runner who had kept the rules of the race and deserved the prize or a steward who faithfully guarded his master's assets this was Paul's view as he waited, looked ahead. He also refers to a crown of righteousness. In the Greek races, the winner would get a, a, a laurel wreath or a garland of oak leaves around his neck. He would also get a victor's crown. You know, Paul was not just getting a garland of leaves that would soon wilt and fade but a crown of righteousness that will never fade away. You know, as you wait, look ahead. And I'm not going to take time to read of all the, the uh, sufferings and the persecutions that Paul endured for the sake of Christ, but there's quite a list. I think it's in 2 Corinthians if you want to look them up sometime. He really had quite a life. And he came from um, that account where just before he was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus as one, it says he was, I forget the wording, but he was, he, he was interested in seeing these people get hurt and die, cast into prison and die if they would. Men, women, or children. Man, he was a cold, ruthless man at that point. But then later on in life, he, he refers to, he encourages Timothy to, to be as a mother nursing her child in dealing with the church. That's where Paul came from, and that's where he was at this point. As he waited, 
Many times in life, God was working through him. But at this point in life, he was nearing the end, and he did look ahead, but also looked back briefly, reflecting on God's goodness and God's high calling on his life. And it's my prayer that we all, as I said, we're all bound by time. There's no one exempt from that. The time you enter this earth, you're bound by time. Waiting is a part of it. No matter how well your plans are, no matter how tight your schedule is, no matter how you microwave, micromanage everything, you are going to wait. You will wait. And some, some of us wait. We don't know how long. We don't know what the time is. Others, we have kind of an anticipated time. But then sometimes, like Noah, I don't know how long he expected this to take. I don't, we don't really have any kind of a clue. God, didn't, I, to my knowledge, didn't tell him. And yet, he was faithful as he waited. And I trust that that can be our experience well as we wait. May we continue to be about the Lord's business. Let's stand for prayer, and then I'll ask Chad for a closing song, and then we'll have a benediction prayer. Do you have a song? We thank you for your blessings on us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that even though we are bound by time, we will wait. We thank you that we have the encouragement, the blessing of your word. You have a plan for our lives and a reason for us to wait. We pray that we would be faithful and be busy about your work as we wait on you. So we pray your continued blessing on us as we go from here. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>